Everybody, this is Huge Pop from the Huge Pop Wrestling Podcast. Our guest tonight is a follower of Jesus. He owns his your Flex Appeal, a personal training studio in North in Charlotte, North Carolina. He has been a professional wrestler for over twenty years. He is an inspirational, motivational speaker, a dad to an amazing daughter. He's tra- he's trained competitive bodybuilders, fitness competitors, professional wrestlers. He is part of the Ravens flock. He is the Lodi Monster. Welcome to the show tonight, Lodi. Hey, thank you so much for having me, man. I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, yes, sir. I hope, every, hope everything's well with you. Um, so, uh, man, the first question everybody probably asks you is, how did you get into, how did you get started in pro wrestling? <clears throat> I will try to give you a Cliff Notes answer on that. As a young kid, I grew up in the Carolinas in the 80s, so I grew up watching NWA and Mid-Atlantic Wrestling okay. with Ric Flair and Arn Anderson yeah. Tully Blanchard and Nikita Koloff and Dusty Rhodes and just fell in love with wrestling at an early age, went to college and became a meathead competitive bodybuilder for a couple of years, but opened a personal training studio. And a guy came by one day to ask me to sponsor a local indie show. And I said, sure, I'd love to. I'm a wrestling fan. And he and I got to talking and he said, my wrestling trainer needs to get in better shape. Maybe if you want to get into wrestling, you could train him in the gym and he could train you in the ring. And it just so happened that his his trainer turned out to be C.W. Anderson. Uh And C.W. Anderson was my first trainer. I started with him back in uh, November of 1995 was when I first started with him. And uh, two months later, three months later, I had my first match. So way too fast, way too soon. But that that was the, the short version of how I got into wrestling initially. Awesome. So you were a fan of wrestling growing up. Yes, sir. What were some of your favorite uh, memories of uh, which, who'd you like the most? And what was like a favorite match that you might've seen? Yeah. Yeah, A kid growing up in the Carolinas, you know, like I said, watching NWA mid Atlantic, my dad used to take me to the Greensboro Coliseum once a month. So we saw Starcade. We saw all the big shows in Greensboro and seeing, you know, Flair win the belt and Dusty win the belt and, uh, you know, watching Magnum TA and Nikita work together. Nice. That was great. You know, you had the Road Warriors and Midnight Express, the Rock and Roll Express, just all of that in general. It's like I jokingly tell dad I paid for my own college, but I feel like dad paved the way for my career by taking me to all those wrestling matches. Nice, nice. So how much difference is the world of bodybuilding from the world of wrestling? Oh, uh, you know, funny enough, they're both very political backstage dealings. Um, you know, they have a lot of similarities. Obviously, there are a lot of bodybuilders that get into wrestling, and there are a lot of popular wrestlers that started out as bodybuilders. And, you know, our business is a cosmetic deal. So one thing that was said, you got to look the part. And so a lot of guys coming out of the gym, if you've got a great body, you kind of have, a, a you know, a jump start on some of the guys who may not. If you're athletic and can move and can talk, those are the three things you kind of need to be able to do, uh, you know, and, and learn to wrestle along the way. But, um, you know, the, the bodybuilding, it's, it's more of a, I felt like, and, and I did it for years. I was also a judge and trained competitive bodybuilders and fitness girls. It was more of a one-man sport where I think in wrestling, you have a crew of guys. You've got guys that support you and guys that help you and guys that mentor you and guys you look up to and then guys you hopefully – do the same thing too. So I think there's more of a camaraderie in our business of wrestling than there is in bodybuilding because bodybuilding is very cutthroat and everybody was kind of out for themselves. Right. So I'm going to take a second. My mom and dad are on the um, podcast. I'm in the chat watching. So they said, hi, son. I said, hello, mom. Um, this is my friend Lodi. He's going to share his story. I um, mean, uh, it's going to be interesting. So 
Stay tuned. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what, you know, C.W. Anderson, man, he came on the show a couple months ago, blah, blah, blah. What was C.W. Anderson like as a trainer? Was he, was he a tough guy? You know what? I, I, I tell this story fondly now. It, I wasn't so fond of it back then. You know, the business has obviously changed in all the years since I broke in. And breaking into the business, even in the mid-90s, was still tough. It wasn't a thing of where you have this wrestling school with open arms that welcomes almost anyone. And so I lived in Greenville, North Carolina, because I graduated from East Carolina University. And C.W. Anderson's school was in Smithfield, North Carolina, which is about an hour and a half away. And so I had to drive Tuesday and Thursday nights, uh, an hour and a half there, an hour and a half home. Not the biggest thing, not, not the biggest complaint, but his training center or his wrestling ring was at a huge nursery where they grew plants and that kind of stuff. Uh -huh. And so the ring was in a barn that wasn't air conditioned and wasn't heated. Uh -huh. And in this barn, they had tractors and fertilizer. Like you had to climb over stuff to even get to the ring. There uh -huh. wasn't, you know, and it was an old ring and we were laughing about this. I just saw CW at an AML show yesterday here in Salisbury, North Carolina. And we were reminiscing about some of the kids I've trained, Brock Anderson and Fodder and some of the guys, and Billy Brash that were there and talking about, you know, at my location, we've got heat, we've got air, and CW just laughed. But back to how CW was the trainer, I had gone four nights. I was sore and I was beat up and battered and bruised. And I went my fifth night and I put on my boots and CW was already in the ring and he was working with somebody. They were just getting started early. And he looked over at me and said, hey, meathead, you're going to keep coming, huh? And I'm like, yeah. He said, you're not going to quit, are you? I'm like, no. I said, why? He goes, well, tonight I'm going to teach you how to wrestle. I'm like, well, tonight's my fifth night. What are you talking about? You're going to teach me how to wrestle? He goes, I've just been punching and kicking you for two weeks because I thought you'd quit. Uh, yeah. So for my first four practices, I got beat up a lot. And um, fifth night, they decided to teach me it was the work and start showing me how we do this business we call wrestling. Nice, nice. So he made you work for it, right? He made me work for it, and, and he was hard, but he was also patient, which is which is which is absolutely imperative for a wrestling coach. Yeah. What is the biggest misconception that people get about going into the business of wrestling? Would you say? Strangely enough, today I think it's changed from when I got into the business, being running a wrestling school now. All the kids that come to wrestling school now, they know it's a work. There's nothing wrong with that. But they also don't comprehend how physical it is. And every time they do something that may hurt a little bit, they're like, hey, you know, what did that guy do wrong? That didn't feel so good. I'm like, you took a bump. I mean, it, that's, that's part of what we do. And so, uh. you know, it's one of those things where I think because they know it's a work, they think nothing is ever supposed to hurt or it's not supposed to hurt quite that much. And I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions. I've had clients of mine at my personal training gym who come to watch me wrestle. And it's always kind of the same reaction. The first time we have a, a session after they came to watch me, they always ask, they're like, man, I don't understand. I, I watched you in person do what you do. And I saw you fall off a ladder and you landed on concrete. You know, how does that not hurt? Nobody ever said it didn't hurt. I think that, that that's the misconception. You know, people think, right. uh, you know, oh, it's uh, it's not supposed to hurt because it's a work. So yeah. there's the, the pain involved. You know, we, we always laugh at the money, the miles, and the injuries are real, right? Right. And so out of, out of my wrestling career, I've had 10 surgeries. So, wow. you know. It's not, so it's not fake. Yeah. <laughs> The, the injuries are real, brother. The injuries are real. <laughs> I bet. I can imagine. I'm not. I'm. I. I get so. As a wrestling fan, I get so irritated. I. I'm never taking a bump, but I get irritated when these people. Because I went to. A, I went to an indie show. Yeah. And oh my god. They do stuff in those indie shows that I'm like, what? And sometimes I think they do stupid stuff, or or unnecessary stuff. I guess you'd say. That's it. That's that's common. Yeah, and. But to say it's fake, I'd like to tell all these people that are fans to, you need to realize, yes, I don't know who said it, but someone explained it to me like a, 
figure skating um, duet. Right. The guy goes out there, they're doing these choreographed moves, which wrestling is choreographed or what, predetermined. Right. And you still have to throw the person up in the air and you got to catch her. Yeah. If you don't catch her, it hurts. It hurts. It hurts. Anything you do in that ring. Yeah. I see. I mean, look look at Sheamus. Every time he comes out doing those slaps, all is as red as red can be. Right. It hurts. It's not, it may not be. It may be predetermined, but when people say it's fake, I'm like, no, dude, you got to. I mean, I'm, and I'm not even a wrestler, and I say that. And there's no way. Yes, you know, sir. So, you know, um, is it, yeah. Sir? It just bothers me when people call the biz, the sport business of wrestling fake, and that's yeah. just whatever. Do you have anybody that mentored you other than CW? Oh, yes. I, I wouldn't be where I am today if I wasn't mentored by a lot of awesome, awesome guys. Probably the biggest influence on my career has got to be Raven. Uh, you know, he he helped get me not only get me my job on TV, uh, but put me in the flock with him, which was an angle that was over huge at the time. And he taught me so much and not necessarily I'm not saying Raven's a bad teacher, but just spending time with Raven. You had to learn the business because he sees it like most people see tic-tac-toe and just <laughs> hanging out with him and listen to him talk. You can't help but absorb some of that. And, you know, he taught me a lot of things on the road. We traveled together a lot. And, you know, some people don't realize this, but the Lodi character was so much of a repackaged Johnny Polo. Okay. You know, I had a different outfit on, but a lot of the things I did, a lot of the gimmick stuff I did, it was all all Johnny Polo stuff because it was tongue-in-cheek, ha-ha, funny, I was the comedy stick, you know, of, of the flock. So, Raven was a, a master of that. And so he was did such a great job of helping people with their uh, basically on safe personas. Yeah. Uh, he, he was great with that. But as far as mentors, you know, Dusty Rhodes was very instrumental in my career. I, when I left WCW, I went to work with Dusty down in Atlanta because I've known him from WCW. And he had a wrestling company called Turnbuckle Championship Wrestling. Okay. And he made me his head booker and I worked with him and, you, same thing. You can't spend time without with Dusty Rhodes and not just absolutely learn something new every day. It's just that right. that's his deal. And, you know, Diamond Dallas Page was down at the power plant. Helped me. Pistol Pez was a trainer there. So there were a lot of guys along the way. Arn Anderson helped me more than he thought he did. Or WCW, he was a road agent that always had good advice for me, and I always looked up to him. And So th- those are some of the guys that gave me a lot of my background. Well, you named quite a few big guys and stuff, Raven and Dusty. and um, Are there any good road stories, like one maybe road story they could tell? That... <laughs> oh, my. Or you can say it's none of my business. I, I, I respect that. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's so many. It's funny when people ask me that. I go down a rabbit hole sometimes because I've got so many to pull from. And um, there was – just random. I don't know how it happened one night, Raven and Saturn and I, one thing about the flock, we always went out together. When I say go out after the show to the bar, wherever we're headed, we're always spending time together. And so we always hung out together, did things together. Raven and Saturn and I rode together a lot. We split rides, split hotel rooms, that kind of thing. And for whatever reason, we had a pay-per-view, you know, our pay-per-views back at WCW were always on Sunday. Right. We'd stayed out exorbitantly late on Saturday night. It was we were coming in early Sunday morning, and somehow, some way, we had to be at the building at two o'clock. We were coming in. It was seven or eight on Sunday morning. We were just coming home, and Raven had lost the rental car keys, and oh. so we had to find a ride to the building the next day. We didn't realize until we woke up that Raven lost the keys. Well, we're downstairs, and it's almost two o'clock. So all the boys had left the hotel. And it just so happened a fan um, that I knew and his dad were standing in the lobby and um, were like, hey, I know this is going to sound strange. Is there any way you can give us a ride over to the building? Because the building was close by. And Tommy's dad had like this old station wagon. I mean, and so Raven and Saturn, I throw our bags in the back. And, you know, we pull up to the gate and there are fans there and they're checking. They're like, what are you guys doing showing up in a station wagon, you know, in the back <laughs> of the car? And that, that, that was the, our entrance there. So nice, there, nice. There, there were a lot of those stories of us not coming in until 
late the next day and then trying to go pull off a pay-per-view the next, you know, a couple hours later and somehow, some way we got it done. <laughs> yeah. So the power plant, um, what's your thoughts of Buddy Lee Parker as a trainer? Buddy Lee was phenomenal. I uh, got to teach. So you had to try out to get into the power plant. And I was in the military, went through basic training, was in the army. And the three-day tryout they put us through was legitimately harder than anything I ever did in the military, anything I ever did in sports. It was brutal. We had 27 guys start my class on a Wednesday morning, and we finished up on Friday morning with three. Oh, Everybody gosh. else had quit and gone home. And so when you got into the power plant, if you made it through the tryout and they invited you to come in, you still had to pay $5,000 to get trained. And the way it kind of worked when you started, one of the trainers was named Mike Winter. All the newest kids kind of started with Mike, and then uh, you graduated up to, to working with Buddy Lee Parker. And Sarge was just phenomenal. He was a spark plug. He worked very, very firm to snug to not borderline stiff, but he mm -hmm. taught you how to be safe. Okay. And he was a great trainer. He had some patience. He would bl he'd blow a fuse or two every one of the tryouts because he enjoyed yelling at the kids that were quitting, that kind of thing. But as a trainer and a guy with heart that just cared and poured a lot into CW, not both, because, you know, CW ended up at the power plant. Yeah. And, and we both uh, actually at um, last year's gathering in Charlotte at one of the wrestling conventions, uh, CW and I were wrestling that night, and Sarge was there. We got to take a picture with him, so. It was good to catch up with him after all these years. Nice. Now you talk about uh, wrestling cons. Do you ever get up to the uh, River City WrestleCon in Jacksonville? I have not done that one yet. No, sir. I, I'm going to be. I'm going to have a vendor table there this year. This come in 2024. So. Oh wow! Very cool. Yeah. So, how often did Eric Bischoff show up at the power plant, or did he not show up at the power plant? I might have said when I was there, so I wasn't there long because once I got down to Atlanta, I was only at the plant for about three and a half to four months until Raven got me on TV. Okay. So I was there for a short amount of time. But during that time, this is before they merged the power plant, put it in the new WCW office, and WCW was still down at the CNN Center. I might have seen Eric once or twice. Okay. If then, a lot of the guys like Paige, you know, when he had a pay-per-view match coming up, he would come in on Wednesday or Thursday to put okay. it together. And so whoever he was working with would fly in. And, you know, when they worked with some of the celebrities, they would come down the train. And I think that was probably the times Bischoff dropped in with gotcha. some of the celebrities were there training or something like that was going on. Yeah. So what was it like that day that you got the call, the call up to the main roster to join Ravens flock? What was that like? What was that? So, so that main call happened. Thanks to Raven. Um, quick background. I was at the power plant. had been there for maybe a month and a half. I was out at a bar one night with one of my power plant buddies. And Raven had just came down from ECW. And Raven walks into the bar. And the guy I was with was an indie worker named Johnny Green, who is Johnny Attitude on Saturday night for WCW. Okay. He said, hey, there's Raven. Let's go say hello. I'm like, bro, I don't know him. I'm not going to bug him. And he's like, well, I'm going to go say hello. I'll be right back. So he goes over. He talks to Raven. He's gone for maybe five minutes. He comes back and goes, hey, Raven wants to meet you. I'm like, me? Why does Raven want to, what? does Raven, Raven didn't know who I am. He goes, no, he just moved to town. He's looking for a personal trainer. And I told him that's what you used to do because I had just sold my gym and I moved to Atlanta. So I go over and Raven's like, hey, what have you done? Who have you trained? You know, why are you good? And about five minutes into our conversation, he said, he said stop, you're hired. I said, hired for what? He goes, I want you to be my personal trainer. So he hired me as a personal trainer that night. And within a week or so, he asked me if I would be interested in being his personal assistant. He was going to pay me 300 bucks a week, basically run his errands when he wasn't home. And when he was home, he was kind of piling around with him. And I, like I said, I just sold my gym and I knew I was going every weekend doing indie shows. So I said, sure, I'll do it. And maybe two and a half months go by, three. And we were out of the bar one night. It was a Thursday night and Raven said, Man, you should be on this road with us. I'm tired of you. you know, he comes home on the weekends. I was gone. During right. the week I was there, he was gone. And I said, well, I think that'd be great if I had a job. And he goes, hang on a second. He picks up his phone and calls Terry Taylor. 
And at that point, Terry knew me from the power plant, and I had done some enhancement jobs for WCW down at the Universal Tapings for the Worldwide Pro Show. Okay. And so I had done that under my real name is Brad Kane. And this is all I hear. Raven's on the phone. He's like, hey, Terry, yeah. Hey, what do you think of that kid down at the power plant, Brad Kane? Well, I was thinking about putting him in the flock on Monday. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Okay. Well, okay. Well, thanks. All right. Click. And that's all I heard. And I'm like, well, that didn't go too well. Right. He goes, well, I'll try to get you in the flock on Monday at Nitro. And Terry said, no. I said, oh, yeah. He goes, we've got the pay-per-view on Sunday. He said, have him start on the pay-per-view. Nice. So this is a Thursday night at midnight. Thursday night at midnight. Oh, pow. And the pay-per-view is Sunday. And <laughs> everybody flies out on Saturday. And I'm sitting there with dark hair. And Raven looks over at me. He goes, eh, you don't look like a star with that dark hair. Why don't you get your hair dyed blonde tomorrow? We're going to make you Billy Idol. Go get some black leather pants. Get you some Harley boots. Get you a glove, the chains. So the, Raven and I stayed out that night. I don't know, till 3 or 4 in the morning. I spent all day Friday running errands and getting that whole Lodi outfit together and getting my hair bleached. I think they had to do it three times to get it to take because it was so dark and she fried my scalp. But we had to get that done. And it was funny, Raven's I'm like, I'm like, what about a flight, uh, a plane ticket? He goes, eh, just buy one that we're, buy the flight we're on, WCW will pay you back. And sure enough, I bought the ticket. We flew out like at eight o'clock on Saturday morning. And Sunday night, I was sitting at the Palace of Auburn Hills in front of 18,000 people on a pay-per-view. Nice. So did Lodi come from Billy Idol backwards? It did because, you know, when they made me Billy Idol, they, you know, Billy Idol has a copyright on that name and that look. Yeah. And so the WCW lawyers pulled me into a room and they looked at me and said, hey, you can only copy 67% of that look without, you know, infringement laws and you're 99% of Billy Idol. And so they're like, we don't know what we're going to call you. I'm like, why don't we just do Lodi, which is Idol backwards. And so it worked and it stuck. And here we are 20 some years later. Nice. So, do you ever, in the mix of dealing with Raven, do you ever think that his power, he um, abused his power at all with any guy, with you and then the guys of the flock? Or was he pretty chill? Was what now? That first but part. I, did he I did he abuse his power? As did he overdo it? Did he overstep? Or at, he, w he, at WCW or with us? With you guys. Oh, so Raven and I had a very close relationship, and we also have been told was so. We fought a lot. When I say fought, like argued loudly uh, okay. for sometimes days on end over the same thing. You know, we, we worked hard at trying to prove our point. And it just so happened we were having an argument. I, I broke I was like, Raven, you know my birthday's next week. What are you getting for my birthday, by the way? And he's like, my birthday's next week. What are you getting me? And I'm like, when's your birthday? He's like, when's yours? We both share the same birthday. There you go. And so it's funny. Everybody that we talk to are like, you guys are so much alike. I think that's why you butt heads. But, you know, Raven always had a great comeback when we started butting heads. If I had an argument about where my character was going and what was going on in the flock, um, he said, uh, it's it's my deal. It's my gig. If you want to be a part of it, fall in line or you can go do your own thing. And I'm like, boss, you are 100 percent correct. I'll do what I'm doing. What was so the best? I, oh, I'm sorry. I, I don't think he abused his power with us. He did a great job of laying out a character for everyone in the flock. And the guys that got over all listened to him. The guys that didn't get over kind of tried to do their own thing based on a loose idea of what Raven gave him as opposed to following what he said. I think the whole flock could have gotten over bigger if all the guys would have bought in like Kidman and Saturn and I did. Now, just three examples there um, that I think were very over for the flock. Uh, you didn't Raven abuse his power? Not with us. Did Raven overstep his bounds with what capital he had at WCW? Possibly. He's very outspoken, and he, he knows that. And so that's cost him some times in the business, some money and some probably some opportunities. But, you know, we were getting hot at a time when there was another bad guy group at WCW that was pretty hot too, called the NWO. And I think a few of those guys may not have wanted to come back with another bad guy group.
That was, you're right, because that was hard to watch because um, I was watching WCW at that point in time, you know. Right. I, I love Raven. I'm a Raven guy. I was like, holy cow, watching you guys do what you do is brilliant. And then, see, I am a big NWO fan, too, because they showed up. You're like, that's why you go back and watch wrestling, you know, and you're like, holy, yes, as, a, as a young man growing up, I'm like, that those guys are cool and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I can see where it might have been like a budding heads of, uh, at times that might that other two bad two bad guy groups out to yeah. share, trying to share TV. So, um, what was the best advice Raven ever gave you? What was what? What's the best Raven ever gave you? The best advice. Oh, the best advice. Cool. Mm. That's a tough one because he gave me. I mean, so much of what I teach. You know, I. My kids at my wrestling school probably get upset after, after the third day of hearing Well, Raven said, um, <laughs> you know, the best advice, that's going to be a tough one. Um, I will tell you the best, one of the best things they ever did for me, which I think is even more important. When I got my first contract, I'd probably been on TV for seven months or so. And JJ Dillon walked up to me at TV and he handed me a FedEx package, which had my new, con- I'm like, what's this? He goes, I had your contract. I hope you're happy with it. Sign it and bring it back next time I see you. So we were doing every uh, Nitro at the time, every Thunder. So I knew I'd give it to him a TV. And we were driving home. And Raven was in his convertible. We are driving home from the airport. And I said, hey, Ray, I forgot to tell you, I got a contract from JJ yesterday. He goes, let me see it. And I hand it to him. And he pulls it up and looks immediately at the numbers. And he goes, it was 75 grand for two years. And he goes, to throw in the back seat. We're in a convertible. He goes, you're not signing that. And I grab it. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm not signing that. <laughs> my first wrestling contract is you're not signing that. He goes, hold on. And he picks up the phone and he calls. Um, I, I didn't know who's calling at the time, but when the secretary picked up, he called to ask to speak to Eric Bischoff and get a meeting with him. And he got a meeting the next day. And he said, don't sign that contract. And my next time I went to TV, uh, JJ came up and goes, Hey, Lodi, I've got something for you here. Hopefully you'll like this. And it was for 110, 115, and 125 for three years. So Raven wow. got me a substantial raise. So That's awesome. Yeah, that was pretty cool. That is awesome. So let's talk about the sign gimmick, man. Yeah. Well, how did that all originate? Raven. Raven. 100%. Okay. I mean, you know, of course, of course we took it from Louis Dangerously or, uh, you know, Sign Guy Dudley at ECW, but Raven was – bragging that he put the gimmick on him first up there. So he said, I came up with it anyway. Well, when, okay. when, when Stevie left, you know, Stevie got hurt his neck. And when Stevie had to leave, I more or less came in on that end to take his spot. Okay. But Raven came up with a whole sign gimmick. Uh, <coughs> he gave me freedom to come up with all the signs I wanted to use. Every once in a while, he would have a suggestion or so. Gotcha. Do you think that the, the assurance of the NWO hurt the flock? I do. <clears throat> I think somebody within the NWO had a big hand in the flock having to break up. Gotcha. And so he had, his initials are HH. And then I'm going to, I was going to ask that question. So I will. I, what, what the hell, right? Thoughts, yeah. on Hulk Hogan, thoughts on Hulk Hogan, then? Not. Nah. Yes, there you go. All right, all right. <laughs> um, what do you think of the success and the interaction that you had with uh, Chris Benoit? Can you talk about that a little bit? I would love to. Um, my very first live match on Nitro was with Chris Benoit. Okay. So when I started in the flock, Raven and he were in their first angle, and they did two two different feuds, but they were involved in the first one. So even before I had my first match with Chris, I've been involved in a ton of run-ins on Chris. And one thing we always did in the flock, unlike the NWO, when they come, when they came down to do a run-in, it was just a big schmoz, a bunch of guys jumping and kicking and punching. But one thing the flock was notorious for, we set up every spot. You know, I would come in, then Kimmel would come in, then Riggs would come in, then Sigboy would come in. And we all had things planned out. but So I had done some work with Chris before our first match. 
but my very first match was with Chris. Uh, it was December of 97. We were in Buffalo, New York, and it was one of my most memorable matches ever. And Chris was phenomenal in the ring and probably the very best I ever wrestled. Okay. Awesome. You had a successful and entertaining partnership with Lenny Lane. Am I right? Yes, sir. What made that team so special? I love Lenny like a brother. And I just spoke to Lenny two weeks ago. And it's so amazing that after all these years, he and I can still get together for a show or a reunion. And it's like not a day passed since we rode together and worked together. For whatever reason, we didn't know each other before we started the gimmick, but our own air chemistry, I just never had chemistry like that with anyone else in my life on TV or in a wrestling ring. The way for us to not have been friends before, know each other before. So like I've worked with one of my good friends that I broke in the business. Uh, we got together again and back when I got my life going the right way and uh, my walk with the Lord was good again. And Scotty had also found him. We put a, a team together called Team Fearless, which meant we were fearless down any street corner, any wrestling venue, or any locker room to talk about our love for Jesus Christ. He and I had great chemistry in the ring because we knew each other for so many years, but it still wasn't quite like the chemistry Lenny and I had. And it was almost, we played that gimmick from the ambiguously gay duo. You know, and Lenny had this idea of like, we're walking down the beach doing a vignette and eating ice cream cones and his ice cream falls off. He's like, ah, oh, Lodi, you know, I, I'll share some of mine or whatever. But almost in real life is one of those things where we can almost finish each other's sentences. Uh, we worked out the same time of day, kind of ate the same way, traveled together, and we just got along great. And I think that was what made the gimmick so entertaining uh, was just how our chemistry on air just clicked. Yeah, yeah. So – Back in your time in the, um, WCW and up to today in these times, what's the difference of what you say within the brands? you think is there too much script, scripted stuff going on today compared to that, back when you guys were doing it? Um, what's what sets your era apart from today? Yeah, I think there is more, to me, some of the promos and stuff are scripted uh, too much for those guys. They don't get to do their own thing. And okay. I think that takes I think that takes away from some of the individuality. Obviously, I had a client a couple of years ago who's not a wrestling fan at all. He watched it for about an hour, and he told me the one takeaway he had. He's like, "Why does the same person write everybody's backstage stuff? It is it they all sound the same?" Right. And I thought that was interesting to hear a non-fan say that. Okay. So in-ring chemistry is. Gotta imagine which opponents did you have the best in ring chemistry with? Would it be Lenny? Uh, as a tag team partner, definitely Lenny. As someone I worked with, he may not say the same. And I, part of this is he was such a good worker, nobody could have a bad match with him. But I always had great chemistry when I wrestled Kidman after the, okay. we broke, after the flock was over. Um, you know, it, it's strange along the way of guys you wouldn't think you'd have chemistry with. And sometimes you just do when it comes to wrestling each other. And some guys who you've got a similar style with, you guys just butt heads because right. you just go in different directions. But one of my favorite all-time opponents, obviously because he trained me, and I probably wrestled him more than anybody else, would be C.W. Anderson to this day. I think he's criminally underrated in wrestling and never got a fair shake at um, displaying how good he really is. And I think he's working right now as good as he did when he was on TV with ECW. I watched him last night. He was phenomenal. Uh, so we, he, you know, he, he helped carry me, obviously, and, and train me, but I always had good chemistry with him. And so he's been fun to work with. Also, a, a guy that I met a couple of years ago that actually has got an NWA match tonight, uh, Bosworth is his name. Right. And he and I worked the last couple of years on the Indies up in North Carolina before and he and his wife, Samantha Starr, moved to Florida at Sam Houston and Baby Dolls daughter for those historians following along at home um but that's bosworth's wife they moved to florida but he's he's working with nwa this weekend and tonight awesome now you still lace up the boots <laughs> up until two months ago every weekend uh, yes. 
I was going to talk about injuries, and you've had an ankle injury that kept you out a while, and um, yep. and just recently you had that heart attack. So, yeah, process getting back. Um, can you talk about that? I talked to my surgeon seven weeks after surgery, which was about a week and a half, two weeks ago, and he okayed me to go back and start lifting weights again. So for two months, I couldn't work out. Uh, we were also asking, obviously, about my wrestling career. And he told me before I asked about that, he said, you're going to make a 100% full recovery from your heart attack. He said, you're a walking miracle. Uh, for those that don't know, I had a quintuple bypass uh, June 21st of this year after having a heart attack in the ring on June 17th. So that was that's what I'm overcoming now. And I, I've told this multiple times, and I'll say it again here, if God wasn't finished with me. He would have brought me home that night. I had the heart attack, but he's still got some work for me to do here. So I'm, I'm still here and I, I plan on, I've already said this multiple places. Um, I'm not going to wrestle anymore this year. Uh, it'll be January of 24 before I get back in the ring again. Awesome. Yeah, I am. Um, I, I can't blame me, man. You got to take some time to what somebody told me, slow down. You need to slow down. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, and that's in, that's everybody. That's an everyday life, man. Yes, sir. Slow down and take it in, and um, you know, just thank the God, good Lord above for everything He's doing in our each and every lives, you know. And I, I'm a firm believer of that. And it's just, I can tell you, I'm just getting off of, in a rabbit hole, but I am so thankful for CWF, um, Rockwall, those guys over there, you know, TJ and or JT and our, you know. Ron, or not Ron, Rob, Rob Vaughn yep. and all that, guys. Those are guys phenomenal people. So, um, Fall Brawl 1998 with uh, the match with Saturn Raven match. Uh, what is the, what's your huge pop moment of that match, if you can remember back? Oh, well, that is a match that I make mandatory for all my students to watch. Okay. I think the false finishes at the end of that match were phenomenal. And, if you just watch the, if you turn the sound down and watch the fans' reaction, you'll know, you'll see what I'm talking about. And for that match to be involved in it, it was the blow off to end the flock after, you know, a couple of years of an angle with Ravens' flock. Uh, of course, you know, it, my big table spot at the end is one that always gets brought up yeah. when Saturn gave me the Death Valley driver through the table. Um, one other reason this match, now, I wasn't obviously participant in the actual match but at ringside doing a lot of stuff and very involved in that way i was in winston-salem and i grew up you know not far from winston-salem so my family was there and i had a lot of uh, friends and family at that show so it was just a really special moment for me so thanks for bringing that match up but that is my number one favorite of all time so that you make you even in your school you make them watch that match oh yeah all my kids have to watch it because again like i said Take you had such a great finish to the whole storyline. Yeah. You know, if Saturn wins, the flock goes free. If Raven wins, Saturn stays in the flock. But just you put all that together, but the match itself, once they start going to the false finish at the end, the fans stood up and popped on every single one of them. And you don't get that as much today. The fans might one, two, whatever, but you just don't get that huge pop. It's a little plug there for you. But they were getting them after every false finish. And I think that is something when you can take a crowd and get them that emotionally involved and get them that wrapped up in it. And I think that's one thing that's missing from today's product. And the young kids will say I'm bitter or whatever, but I think we've taken some of the emotional aspects where we connect with the fans and tug on those heartstrings and we've traded for some athleticisms and flips and flops. Because I mean, just talking to you guys from back um, the older, like WCW ages and stuff like that, you hear a lot about storylines. And let's be honest, the only storyline that we're that's relevant today is the bloodline. Right. But nothing else. It's just, it's just wrestle, wrestle, just whatever, whatever. And it's three hours. And that's my hardest thing about watching Monday Night Raw is it's A, three hours. And it's a lot of, I have to say this, but it's a lot of garbage gimmick. Stage, there's nothing, no, no being developed at all. I can't say not many, you know. We have uh, the judgment day, maybe, but um, yeah, so storylines were a lot less now than they were back in the day. So, how important was storylines to 
WCW and all those guys back in the day. You there? Did I lose you there? Yeah, that's that's all right. But uh, do you hear my question? Uh, about the storylines being important? Yeah, how important was it, to, in your opinion? 100%. I think you got to have them. If not, you know, I, I use this analogy all the time. How many people sit down and watch collegiate wrestling on Saturday afternoon on TV? Right. Like every every collegiate wrestler is in great shape and they can wrestle and they're at the top of their deal. They're phenomenal at it, but it's nowhere near as many people as watch Raw on Monday night. You got to get them emotionally involved. And if you don't, I just don't think it's that entertaining. Right. Absolutely. If you had the opportunity to change one thing, the opportunity to change one thing in today's wrestling industry to improve it, what would that be? The kids would sell more. I think that's a lost art. And it's one thing I really push on my kids at school is you've got to sell. If we don't sell, our business dies because it doesn't mean anything anymore. Okay. How do you ref how do you reflect on your wrestling career today? And what are the one some of your most your proudest moments? Oh. That's a great question. And I sincerely mean that. I'm not saying that to stall for time. That's a really great question. At this point in my career, I'm, A, super thankful that I've been able to do it this long because I know there are a lot of people whose careers have gotten cut short due to injury. And, again, I've had three broken necks and been told I couldn't come back from the last two and ever wrestle again. I'm still wrestling now. So I've got to thank God for giving me a resilient body that recovers whenever I get hurt really fast. And that's why I'm dead set on coming back from this heart attack. It's just not going to be something I'm not ending my career on that, but I'm proud of what I've been able to do from a wrestling standpoint. And like you said, with the trainers and mentors I had to hopefully take that information and pour in to tomorrow's wrestlers at school. But, you know, most important for me is taking wrestling, which I love, and being able to use it for my ministry and, and my love of Jesus Christ. And putting those two together um, is probably my proudest moment, to be able okay. to do that and do that on a consistent basis and go out and we're on TV. I came out with signs that put the town down. I come out with signs now that have Bible verses on. So nice. just a huge difference and a growing part on my end, but thankful that I can put both those things together. Awesome, man. Your, your flex appeal was your wrestling Academy. Am I uh, right? It's my personal training studio. And I added my a, a ring in there. So yeah, team fearless training Academy is the name of the wrestling school, but the name of the gym that it's in is your flex appeal. Yes, sir. Can you share a little bit about what that means to you and um, where that is today? Yeah. My personal training business is, you know, I jokingly tell people I've had two jobs as an adult. I've been a personal trainer and I've been a professional wrestler and neither one of them ever felt like work. So I feel like I've never worked a real day in my life. Right. But you know, my, my personal training is just my love of bodybuilding and working out. Um, it's always what I've loved to do and to help other people change their lives. Uh, it's pretty cool. And then with the wrestling school, like I said, just to be able to take some of that information that I've been given and pour back into these kids and along the way, give them a little Jesus too. It's a good combination. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I have some, I take care of eight foster kids and of course we sit around and have family meals and they want it. They say, Hey, can we ask some questions? Of course I said, okay. Yeah. They're the same questions they always ask them. So I'm going to, if you have, I'm going to just ask some questions. So shoot. first question is what food do you like? What's your favorite food? Sushi. Sushi. Here's we have Thursday pizzas. Every Thursday we get Domino's pizza. And um does pineapple belong on pizza? No. No? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh you play video games? I do not. Okay. Favorite movie? Rocky Four. Rocky Four. Good movie. Favorite <laughs> favorite TV series. Oh. House of Cards. House of Cards. 
Does a chair shot hurt? Unbelievably so, and more so when it's delivered by C.W. Anderson. C.W., huh? Man. C.W. had some stiff chair shots. I feel like I did, too. Uh, you know, we came up in that day where we didn't necessarily protect our heads when the chair shots came, and we just took them. And we never claimed to be smart, and we'll probably pay for it later in life. But, yeah, C.W. and I both swung some, some pretty stiff chairs at each other over the years. Awesome. And um, I just was at wondering, if, so I'm going to pl probably play this back for the kids tomorrow. What advice would you ask, have for a kid growing up? Um, not, yeah, I guess going into wanting to go into wrestling or not just, or just in life in general. What is there any advice you could give a kid? First and foremost, read your Bible and learn as much as you can about Jesus Christ. And hopefully along the way, you'll give your life to him. Uh, the next thing I would go for is if you have the desire to do it, get your education. Um, that's something nobody can ever take away from you. If you want to be a professional wrestler, try to pursue both at the same time if you can. I've got some high school students and some college students right now that are in my wrestling school. Uh, just in case one doesn't work out, you have the other to fall back on. Uh, but if you've got a desire to be a professional wrestler, find you a good, reputable school with a good trainer that has obviously some experience and uh, is somebody that the industry looks at with some favor as opposed to some of these guys who will just take your money to wrestle in the backyard. Okay. So there's a quote that you said at the end of your promo video, if you remember what you said. Um, could you, in, in Lodi mode, could you say that? Well, and tell me what that means. Uh, tell you what it means? Yeah, tell me what, why why that's so important to you. Oh, my, my quote at the end there, that's just, that's one of, that was kind of my tagline catchphrase I came up with back in, cool. That's, I've had that one for a while. <laughs> Let's hear it. Uh, so it is written. So it should come to pass. Enjoy every breath you take. You never know when to be your last. Many have come before you, and they've all fallen like fools. When it comes to hardcore wrestling, it's plain and simple. Lodi rules. That's the word. There you from go. Lodi. That's words from Lodi. So <laughs> I, so I would have to say that. Um, I, I guess I can ask the, the, the question: What's your favorite type of match? One where I don't take many bumps and I win. There you go. <laughs> You know, but to go with that question, you know, a long time ago, uh, this is, you know, 10 years ago or so, somebody asked me one time to make a list of everything I'd ever been hit with in a hardcore match or in a wrestling match. And, you know, after you've got like two pages of stuff written down, you're like, this is just ridiculous. CW and I have a saying. He came up with it. I steal it from him, though. It's called OIW, Only in Wrestling. You know, so, I mean, where else are you going to get hit in the head with a keyboard? <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things. So, yeah. So, who's the GOAT of wrestling? The GOAT. Who's the oh. uh, You know, as I get older, as a kid, I always thought it was Ric Flair. And as I get older, my GOAT? because of work rate and athleticism and his ability to work multiple styles. I'd say Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels. Yeah, that's good. Do you have any rub-ins with uh, Sting? Do I have any what? Do you have any run-ins with Sting? Any? Uh... Yes. So at WCW, we obviously worked together there. And he ran a different circle than I did. Um, but just as an example, we um, – I was doing a convention up in New Jersey maybe four or five years ago, maybe a little longer. Huh? But going, we're leaving the building and Sting, I was passing the airport and um, he's like, hey, Lodi, how you doing? And he had free check and I didn't for whatever reason. But um, just so a quick hello, goodbye. And I had like a four hour wait for my flight. So I'm sitting there. I went to a gate where there was no plane or whatever. 
And I've got my feet propped up and I'm reading the book. And somebody kicks my feet and said, what are you doing, kid? And I looked up and it was Sting. And he had a long way over too. And he said, we talked about two and a half hours. We talked about our faith more than anything else. Cause you know, Steve's got a pretty strong faith too. So. Absolutely. So I asked that question because um, everybody gives him hot heat because he's still doing it. Yeah. He's in AEW and he's, I love Sting. He's my all time favorite. Um, yeah. My brother gives me all kinds of crap because I think he's great. And does he do things that probably a 60 some year old guy should, should not do? Yeah, probably. Like this last all at all in, he, he did some, he did some crazy stuff, you know? And I'm like, okay. But I think my question is, how important do you, do you think guys like you, C-Dub, Sting, um, even uh, Omega in, that are in the back, yeah. how important is it for these youngsters to sit down, shut up, and just listen to what you veterans have to say? <laughs> uh, it's an ongoing story, and I suppose um, it's probably always been like this to a degree. A lot of young guys have access to these guys and can pick their brain or whatever, and they just choose not to. And it kind of blows my mind. Um, looking back on me, I feel like I tried to soak up what I could from those guys whenever I was around Paige or whenever I was around Dusty. You know, I, I wanted to learn as much as I could. And Raven did a good job of teaching me more about respect and that kind of thing, which I, you don't know when you're green and you, and you don't know what's going on. But, you know, I think because some of the young kids feel like the business has changed from what we did, mm -hmm. their way is so different, they don't really want to take advice from some of the older guys. Gotcha. Yeah. It's a shame because, you know, I mean, I follow the uh, indie promotion, XIW, Extreme Impact Wrestling. Damian Wayne from Nashville, he's in that group. Um, Austin Aries is just brought into that, you know, yeah. and there's a lot of young guys down there that, you wonder if they sit down and listen to what these vets say because it could be very crucial and very important to the, to the rest of their uh, career. And this, and anything you do, you know, I was sitting talking to um, who was it? Like somebody yesterday, and uh, he's a podcaster as well. And um, I said, look, man, if you have anything to say or any advice, let me know because I just want to go up from here. I don't want to. I just and I'm willing to listen. So and you know, him and I shared a lot of good stories, but um. We got about nine minutes, and uh, it's the CWF. It's the wrestling for wrestling with purpose is what I call this um, show on Monday nights because I this show alone I got it's just backstory is um I was ready to just say eh with the podcast because it was just I had a wall I had I had a promotion that was up in Illinois that just dropped and I was like man I got frustrated and I remember having a uh, conversation. Chad Lale, Gunner. Yeah, I saw he Chad was, yesterday. Yeah, he just retired. You know that? Yeah, yeah. I was, I was at his last match yesterday. Awesome. He uh, he announced it on our podcast that he had four matches in August. So it must have been yesterday was his last one. And um, he was like talking about um, you know, God and talking about his walk and his change of life and stuff like that. You know, and um, he was just so instrumental and with. And I was at the time I got the 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 information about that promotion up in Illinois closing down and I, all everything that was going on and why it's closing down. I remember Chad saying to me because we had we talked about the Bible Club, the T-shirt that he was wearing, and we talked about that. And then he goes, "That just God just brought that to my vision." It was like Bible Club. I'm like, "Oh, maybe I should reach out to Chad." So I reached out, reached out to him, and he connected me to Rob and. Mondays, I can tell you, are the best podcast day for me because talking to guys like you and listening to you guys' story about um, G uh, your, your relationship with Jesus Christ and how he's gotten you through some things is, you guys don't know this, but it helps me. Um, I want to tell you that. My wife and I lost a child 28 years ago, oh and I found out mom, my mom is has eight to ten months to live. You know, that's heart wrenching. And it's so August has been really, really hard. Yes, sir. But every Monday just makes it easy. Not, not, it doesn't take it away, but it, 
helps me get through the through the next to the week, you know. And yeah, I, I do this podcast to get away from reality at times. I say all that to say this. I would love if you could share your testimony and how you became a follower of Jesus Christ, how you accepted Jesus into your life and how, what that means to you right now and where you're yes, going. Sir. So I was raised in a Christian home and, you know, I, I jokingly say my parents had an open door policy with the church that the church doors were open. We were there, but as I got through college and, and started wrestling, I got as far away from that wall as I possibly could. And I was abusing substances and I ended up losing my job at WCW right before they went out of business and end up in rehab. And a couple of years later, I had some friends of mine that had given me a Bible at one point. And I kind of went to church with them a couple of times and I started just going. And then I ended up going to church and realizing how far I'd gotten away from where I needed to be and how much of a sinner I was and how much I needed God in my life. And from that point on, I, I started serving at my church. Um, I'd gotten sober. I just celebrated 14 years sober wow. uh, last week. So, so thank you very much. But along the way, I just it made so much sense. And it wasn't one of those things where, you know, Raven told me this one night. He said, you know, one thing about your faith that I buy is like, as an adult, you went back to that faith, you know, and made that choice. It's not like just because you were raised in a church, all of a sudden you felt like that's what you had to do. And so I just know there are points in my life, like you mentioned in some things through the surgeries and accidents or whatever, you know, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for God. I lost a lot of my friends at WCW who died of drug overdoses and suicides and things like that. And God kept me here. Why? And I feel like it's absolutely to help other people because I can relate to what they're going through if it's a substance abuse problem because, you know, I'm a recovering addict myself. Right. And like we talked about briefly, to be able to take my wrestling, which I love, and, you know, we talk about Sting doing this until he's 62. And, you know, I don't know if Lodi's turning 53 next week. I don't know if I'll make it to 62 or not. Sting's setting a pretty high bar. Yeah. But I, I know using my wrestling, still being able to perform, but use that for my ministry and to talk to kids and even adults who may need a prayer or just a hand or just a listening ear, you know, before the show's intermission. And that's been one thing that's been really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And um, CWF, so are, do you eventually, do you ever so often make appearances at CWF? Yes, I do. Usually uh, for the Christmas Federation down in Rockwell, normally a couple of times a year. And I think I started going in 2012 or 2013, somewhere roughly in there. So it's been almost 10 years I've been with them. And we just did a show two weeks ago here in South Carolina, actually just okay. south, of, south of Charlotte. And I helped Rob put it together since obviously I'm not wrestling right now. Right. So we put the show together for a church there. And Rob flew in, spent the day with us, and we went and did the show. So I, lo I love those guys. And when they bring me in down there, you know, they make me feel like a king. It's just – the families and everybody there just opens up their homes and their hearts and their arms. And it's right. amazing. It's an amazing place to go wrestle. Right. I was talking. Um, one of the things I love about CWF is uh, they put on this wrestling show and, you know, at churches or even at their, their, their arena there. And um, at the end, after everything's done, Rob comes in the middle of the ring or whoever has the message that night. Yes, sir. In the middle of the ring. And, shares the gospel and prays for people. And just to see that is amazing to me. And it makes me, and I told, I told, I was talking to um, JT that uh, my wife and I, and hopefully Rico, my partner that's usually on here with me we're, and his wife, we're going to try to get to uh, Dallas or Rockwell um, in December of 2024. Fantastic. So they they said that they were doing um that state the cage matches in 2024 in yeah. December yeah and uh, we were joking around but he took me serious and I hope I'm glad he did um, Rico and I would love to do color commentary for one match if we if they would love it so oh well, that'd be cool yeah something I, we're trying to put together you know hey I know a guy I might put in a word for you all right. 
right. But no, I appreciate you taking the time out of your life and um, yes, sir. sharing your stories. Uh, I have something I'm going to ask you. So when I play the music to end it, stay stay on, and I will I, a couple things I want to ask you personally. So okay. Uh, but uh, Lodi, so we came to the last uh, minute of the show. Um, I'm going to give you the opportunity to share with people where you where you are how they can see, get a hold of you, where they can buy your merch, everything you need to do about Lodi. Yes, sir. And then, I'll, then I'll play the song and I'll see you in the lobby. All right. We got a Facebook page, uh, Lodi. We also got uh, Twitter is Lodi1Brad, Instagram, Lodi1Brad. That's my social media. You can find me there. Uh, Facebook's under Brad Lodi Kane. And there is, a, like I said, there is a Lodi page as well. So check it out there. And when I get back to wrestling, I'll have my schedule up there and I'll put up my speaking engagements as well. So thank you guys. There you go, huge pop wrestling fans. We had Lodi. He's from. He's a, a great man of God. He shared his testimony. Thank you, Lodi, for everything. Thank you yes, guys sir. for watching the Huge Pop Wrestling podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the channels: YouTube, Facebook, Twitch. You'll see them in the um, presentation I put up. Be blessed. Have a good night, Huge Pop Wrestling fans. This is your host, Huge Pop. I'm out. Yeah.